Hello and welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. You know, one of the things that we struggle with today is authority, right? Especially with students don't like being told what to do, don't like authority. And oftentimes we throw out that authority. And one of the major pieces of authority in Christianity is the Bible. And that we believe that the Bible has authority over us. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, what we, how we should view that authority. And then also we're going to be looking at the internal and external evidence for the Bible's authority. Now, before I jump into it, let me just say this. Uh, it's been uh, difficult to record some podcasts lately. The reason for that is I am getting married in three weeks. I can't even believe it. But the wedding planning has uh, turned into full swing, right? We are uh, going at it and and planning things, and it has been busy. And so I'm just letting you guys know that if the episodes are a little bit more sporadic in the next few weeks, especially uh, after the next three weeks when you get married and off in the honeymoon and stuff, um, it's not because I stopped recording. It's not because I'm giving up on this. Uh, really, it's just getting busy. And so I'm going to try to record as much as I can over the next few weeks. Uh, but again, just a reminder, let you guys know uh, that's what's going on. So it's exciting time, a lot going on, but it is fun. And I really, uh, I'm really enjoying it. And so um, now back to our topic. Okay. So in my high school class, we're working through the doctrines of the Christian faith, and we're looking at, or we looked at, the doctrine of Scripture and why the Bible has authority over us. And one thing that we see in our culture is that we don't like authority, right? We, we want to push against any kind of form of authority over us. We want to be in control of our lives. And this is what we are seeing, I think, hugely in our culture today. This idea of personal autonomy, that you can't tell me what to do. Who are you to say what I can do with my body? Who are you to say what I can do in the privacy of my own home? And so we don't like being told what to do. However, when I ask my students, uh, do we really want to live in a culture where everyone is doing what they want to do? Everyone is just living for themselves. Or do we want to live in a culture where there are some rules they recognize? that rules actually are a good thing. That when we see who's in charge, when people who are in charge are good, then it is easy to submit to that authority because we recognize that what they're doing is actually what's best for us, right? And I think that we can see this in our lives a lot when we are in positions where we can look at some people in authority over us and go, yeah, what they are doing, what they are saying is actually what's best for me and I'm going to submit to them, I'm gonna listen to them. I think of that as certain bosses that I've had over the years or whatever, and it's like, they actually have our best interest in mind. And so, yes, I'm going to submit to that authority. When authorities get out of hand, then obviously, yes, we need to do something about that. But I think what's happening a lot of times with the young people, a lot of times in our culture, is that because we don't like some forms of authority, because we want this idea of personal autonomy, we remove all authority out of our lives and we throw everything out. And what happens is this actually gets rid of the legitimate good forms of authority as well as the bad. And so hopefully, and with my students, we're trying to work through and, and look at what are the good forms of authority that we need to continue to submit to and follow uh, and then get rid of the bad forms of authority. And so when we're looking at scripture, I think what scripture tells us is, look, this is a good form of authority. What the Bible has, what God desires for us is actually what is best for us. God knows what is good for us. God has set up systems in order to protect us. And when we submit to that, what we realize is this is what's actually best. I mean, ultimately, I think the biggest example of this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If we actually followed that, how different would our world be? 
And so hopefully that we, we look at the authorities, we think about these authorities, and then we come to the conclusion of which one is good and bad. And so when we're looking at the authority of Scripture, what we have to do is we have to use our mind. Right? We cannot mindlessly follow the authorities in our life. This is what happens, uh, or when that happens, it gets us into some issues, right? When you just blindly and mindlessly follow whatever someone is telling you to do, you can get into some trouble. And so what we should be doing is we should be engaging our minds and looking at and thinking about and evaluating what the authority is claiming so that we can know if this is good or bad. And so that's one big thing within Christianity is, is kind of this anti-intellectualism, right? We, we don't want to use our minds. We just follow our heart, follow it wherever it leads. And sometimes that leads us to good places and sometimes it leads us to bad places. But Christianity calls us to use our minds, right? We are said to be trans, uh, scripture calls us in Romans to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In Matthew, it says that we are to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength with our entire minds. And so hopefully, as we look through this, we can apply our minds to the authority of scripture. We can think critically about what scripture has to say. Does it actually have authority over us? And then we can make that evaluation. And so in today's episode, we're going to be looking at that authority, the internal evidence for the authority of Bible, as well as the external evidence. And so first, uh, when it comes to the internal evidence, why do we think that the Bible has authority over our lives? Well, the Bible is made up of a lot of different books, right? A lot of different books, different authors written over a long period of time. Uh, But what we see is something very special and unique in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I often will argue that using Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus can prove the truth and the authority of Scripture. And it follows a very simple three-step process. The first one is this. Point number one in the internal evidence for the Bible's authority is that Jesus asserted his own authority. Right When Jesus came, he was not referring to an authority outside of himself. Right, What we see in the Old Testament oftentimes is, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. Uh, and the prophets were referring back to the authority of the Lord. When Jesus came, he changes that language and he says, this is what I say. You've heard it said, but I say to you, truly I say unto you. And so Jesus claims to have this own authority. So one of my favorite verses that in passages that has to deal with this idea is when Jesus heals the paralytic. Now, if you remember in Mark chapter two, it says, you know, they bring the paralytic to Jesus and he says, okay, your sins are forgiven. Rise up, take your, and, and or before that he says, your sins are forgiven. The people say, who are you to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus responds and says, okay, rise up, take your bed and walk. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Immediately, the guy picked up his bed, went home, and was healed right in front of the people. And they didn't, hadn't seen anything like that. And so we see here this example of, of Jesus saying, look, I have this authority. I can forgive sins. I can do these things. And then look, I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to perform these miraculous events right in front of your eyes. So this is something unique and common among the ministry of Jesus is that he went around claiming to have authority, proclaiming these words, claiming to be God, and then showing, look, I do have the supernatural ability to back up the claims that I have. And so that's our first step is that Jesus comes on the, on the scene. And, and in our culture, we love to say that Jesus is a nice teacher. 
He had a lot of nice things to say, right? He had good moral teachings. However, when we look really what Jesus is saying, he is claiming to have authority over our lives. He is claiming to have the authority of God and then shows it and backs it up. And so that's our first thing is that Jesus first asserted this authority. Now, when we look then and, and how this relates to the rest of Scripture, what I argue in my talk on the, on the reliability of Scripture, we focus in on the Gospels. And the reason why we focus in on the Gospels is that Jesus lived in the Gospels. And the second part of this is that in the words and the teachings of Jesus, Jesus goes back and that he trusted the authority of the Bible, of the Old Testament scriptures. And so he, Jesus constantly refers back to the Old Testament and saying, look, this is written, this stands, this is truth that applies to us now. Now, there are things that he came and he fulfilled, but he referred back to the authority of the Old Testament. He also assumed that the prophecies of the Old Testament must be fulfilled. He talked about these things that must be fulfilled, these things that are going to come true, these statements must be true. I think, most importantly, Jesus goes back and he treats the miraculous events of the Old Testament as if they actually occurred. He mentions uh, things like Adam and Eve, the Noah's flood, Sodom's judgment, um, and also you know uh, Jonah and the great fish. And so Jesus is going back and saying, look, I have this authority. I'm backing up the authority with miraculous events so you know that what I'm saying is true. And guess what? The Old Testament is also true. The prophecies are going to be fulfilled. He quotes scripture. Uh, when he's on the cross, he quotes scripture. He also uh, then talks about these miraculous events of the Old Testament as if they actually happened. And so again, if Jesus is God and what he's saying is true, then we can also now trust that the Old Testament is also true for us. This leads us into our final piece of the internal evidence, where then Jesus gives his authority to the disciples, right? So he now promises the, the soon-to-be-written apostolic New Testament, right? So Jesus calls his 12 disciples. He gives them authority over unclean spirits uh, to cast them out, to heal diseases. He also said things in like John chapter 14. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When the Helper comes, with whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so here we have kind of this third piece we look at, again, from the person of Jesus, that Jesus claims authority. He backs it up with his miraculous events. He says that the Old Testament has authority as well, that, that those stories are also true. And then he gives his authority through the power of the Holy Spirit to the disciples to bring to remembrance the things that they were to be written and so that they would write accurately. And so here's kind of the first thing that we looked at and said, look, based on the person of Jesus, if Jesus died, rose from the dead, right, showing that he is God, he approves the Old and the New Testament, we now have internal evidence for the Bible's authority. So here's our first kind of piece of this evidence uh, that I think is very powerful. Now, here's why I think, and this can be very helpful for us today. In our culture, people generally have a very good view about Jesus, right? Jesus is mentioned in many different religions. Uh, people see Jesus, as I mentioned before, as a good moral teacher, and so, again, if we can use now the words of Jesus and say, okay, you believe that Jesus is a good moral teacher, you believe that uh, he's maybe a prophet, you believe that he had good things to say, let's actually look at the words of Jesus, 
right? When you actually look at the words of Jesus and you see these three things that I pointed out, we can try to begin to help people to see, look, Jesus wasn't just a good moral teacher. He came claiming to have authority, showed it, and approved of Scripture. And so now we have to take the Bible seriously. If Jesus took the Bible seriously, we should probably take the Bible seriously as well. So I think that we can not only use what Scripture says— but then also use the culture's view of Jesus that generally is very good and show, look, the Bible is trustworthy. We should be looking at this. Now, oftentimes then people go, well, okay, but is there any evidence outside of the Bible? Is there any good reason outside of scripture to believe what the Bible says? And again, the answer there is yes, right? We have overwhelming, we have a lot of archaeological evidence to support scripture. And so just a few, right? We have the, the Tel Dan, uh, this inscription showing that the house of David confirming that David, that King David was actually, uh, that he actually existed. Uh, we found uh, Hezekiah's tunnel that uh, is mentioned in Second Kings that brought water into Jerusalem. And now we have uh, that has been found. Uh, we have other uh, building projects of Solomon that have been unearthed. And we have a lot of these different archaeological discoveries that show, look, these stories are true. Uh, What happened uh, lines up with historical events. Now, I think that we need to be careful. And I think this is a super important point that I talked with my students about. And it's this. The discoveries that we have found do not establish inspiration, right? When we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, that the Holy Spirit inspired the authors to write accurately. The archaeological discoveries do not prove inspiration. Just because King David actually existed did not mean that the Holy Spirit actually spoke through him. Just because we found existence of Pontius Pilate did not mean that that what is written in all the other stories are also inspired word of God. The discoveries also don't prove inerrancy. It's possible for there to be all these different events that have been confirmed through archaeology, uh, but that maybe there are errors. Maybe there are mistakes uh, that were made in the original writings. Maybe uh, the, the, the mistakes in the manuscripts. Uh, it's possible. And I think that we need to kind of admit this, right? Maybe it sounds crazy that I'm saying this, but the archaeological discoveries don't prove inerrancy. It's possible that, again, we are including some true details, uh, but have made mistakes in other areas. I think this happens all the time. When you make up a story, uh, you maybe include some true details, but you can also fudge some other things. And other things simply just don't line up. And so we have to be careful to not overstate the importance of archaeological discoveries saying that they prove inspiration or inerrancy. Now, the crazy thing here is is what I'm talking about is I don't think the archaeological discoveries also prove authority. Just because we found an archaeological discovery proving that a certain city or a pool or a a monument was discovered, an inscription was discovered, does not prove that the Bible has authority over lives. Okay, so why am I talking about this? Well, I think that the discoveries point to the reasonableness of belief in scripture's truthfulness, right? That when you are telling someone a story, the the more true details you have in that story starts to lead us to say, okay, maybe this story is actually true. Maybe I need to start giving it the benefit of the doubt. And so we look at this, we go, okay, this is not just completely made up. This is not all just false uh, mythology that has been created at some point to tell the story, right? There are true details. And the fact that we are finding more and more discoveries pointing to the truth of these details, we need to take a step back and go, maybe there's actually something here. Maybe we need to take this story a little bit more seriously. Now, when we move on to the New Testament, 
right? There are tons of historical details in the New Testament. So in my talk on the reliability of the New Testament, I include a few of these. Uh, first of all, there are nearly 100 historically confirmed details in the book of Acts alone. The New Testament cites more than 30 people conformed, confirmed by secular sources and archaeology. And, the, and then ultimately, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke and Acts, uh, he names 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands without air. Right? And so when we look at this, we go, wow. These are some details. This is some information that is, that is actually confirmed by secular sources, by archaeology. And so when we look at this, we go, wow, okay, this kind of evidence, again, it doesn't prove the life of Jesus and his actions. It's possible, again, we need to take this in, in proper light, that we include some important details, we include the right cities and the right names, but maybe Jesus didn't do these miracles. But the, we do see through this evidence the reasonableness of this account, that there is a reasonable person in view of Jesus Christ, the evidence and the biblical testimony, it gives scripture the benefit of the doubt. Now, I think so much more could be said about this, but I want to stop right here uh, just with this basic understanding that I've talked about, right? When we look at the internal evidence that Jesus claimed to have authority, uh, that he is speaking authoritatively, he gives the Old Testament credibility, he gives the disciples uh, credibility and gives them authority to write the New Testament. And then from outside of Scripture, we see archaeological evidence confirming these details mentioned in these stories to begin to give them more credibility, to begin to give them more reasonableness. And so we should start to give that word the benefit of the doubt. And so how this, does this apply to what we're doing? Well, oftentimes as Christians, and especially in my classroom, we talk about, well, the Bible says this, right? Right now we're going over the doctrine of God and we're saying that God is eternal, that God is wise, God is holy, that God is omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and all this kind of stuff. And, and students will ask, well, how do we know this? Well, this is what scripture is revealing to us. Well, why should I trust the Bible? We should trust the Bible because it has authority, because it is true. It is the inspired word of God, right? And so we have to often take a step back and we have to do these certain, certain things in order, right? The first thing that we do is that we look at the existence of God. Does God actually exist, right? Because if God doesn't exist, then the Bible is not the word of God. But we look at his existence and we can use philosophy and we can use science and we can create arguments that point to the fact that God does exist, and then our second question then becomes, okay, has God spoken to us? Has he spoken? Has he revealed himself to us? And we would say, yes, he has revealed himself to us in scripture. The scripture is God's special revelation. And because we have this evidence, because we have reasons to believe the scripture is actually true, that what Jesus said is true, that the external evidence pointing to the reasonableness of it, we can say, okay, now let's start to look at what does this actually say. Now, there's so much more that we can look at with manuscript evidence, and I'm going to get to that in a future show, but we can see, look, this word has not changed. We can actually trust what the Bible says. And so now, what does it teach us about God? What does it say about who God is? What does it say about who God has called us to be and the way that he has called us to live? And this is so important when we look back. And I don't think we should just simply say, well, the Bible says so, the Bible says so, the Bible says so, without initially going back and giving a reason why we should believe what the Bible has to say. But if we have taken this in this kind of order, if we've taken it in the right steps, then we can say, okay, this is what the Bible teaches. And I believe what the Bible teaches because it has authority. And it has authority because of the person of Jesus and the external evidence and because God actually exists. And so when we take it in this approach, I think that we can 
create a strong argument for why the Bible calls us to live a certain way and why we actually need to follow what it calls us to do. And so when I do this with my students, it's really cool because a lot of students, either one, have never heard this before, uh, that maybe they've been growing up in the church and they simply just say, here, this is what the Bible says. And they don't know why they should actually trust what the Bible says. A lot of my students are not Christians. They've never heard this kind of stuff before. And they've just showed up and, and here's what the Bible is and you just need to believe it. And so what was really cool is just how many of my students, after going through this, uh, had just such a change of perspective. Right, where they said, look, I just thought the Bible was full of mythology, just full of stories, uh, kind of like just old fairy tales. But now as I see this, now that I see that this archaeological evidence is starting to confirm it, now that I see what it actually says about itself, I'm starting to give it more credibility. And to me, there's nothing cooler than this. There's nothing more special than when students are starting to see the Bible for what it really is, the power and authority that it has over our lives and why we need to spend our time reading it, why we need to spend our time devoting our lives to understanding it and why that is so important. And again, in in future episodes, we're going to look more at the manuscript evidence. uh, And I also want to look at some arguments that people have made showing uh, that the Bible claims things it actually doesn't claim. And that's going to be a future show. Uh, But to show, look, this is how we need to read scripture. We need to make sure we're taking things in context and looking at things accurately. And so hopefully just this little bit here has helped you in understanding why we need to take the Bible seriously. And now all this kind of accumulates in what I've been talking about in some of my recent speaking events. And so uh, just this last Friday, I was speaking uh, at a church youth group and they had me come in and I was talking about why is Christianity the one true religion? And a lot of what we look at is, well, in that talk, what I look at is ways of telling that religions are false. Uh, does it follow the evidence? Um, does it, is it backed by the evidence? Uh, and also, is it logically consistent? Right? And what we see in some religions, and I often will point out uh, things like in Mormonism, where you have someone like President Snow, the fifth president of the Mormon church, Lorenzo Snow, uh, talking about how God was once a man. As man now is, God once was, and as God is now, man may be. And so this idea that God was once a man and became a God. But then you have things like Moroni 8.18 that says that God is unchangeable in his very beginning from, or in his very being from all eternity to all eternity. And so you have this inconsistency within their own scripture of how can God be unchangeable in his very being, but yet at one point he was not God. He was not a divine being, and now he is. That is a very big change. But when we look at the Bible and we see the continuity, when we see the consistency throughout all of the 66 books over a 1500 year period, that there isn't this internal inconsistency in our scripture, this points to divine inspiration. This points to something, wow, this is something consistent, something that we can trust. And then finally, another thing in that talk that I did with the students on this last Friday is that, is it supported by evidence? And again, the Mormon church and and the Book of Mormon, uh, we haven't found evidence of these civilizations. We don't know where they were. We haven't found uh, the people that are supposedly mentioned in these books. And and it's not backed by the evidence. And I often share the story of when I was in Salt Lake City at the Mormon Museum. And I asked them, I said, you know, this museum is awesome. You got lots of really cool stuff in here. Where is the evidence? Where is the where are the artifacts from the Lamanites and the Nephites? And they flat out told me, we don't have any anywhere. 
right? We've never found those things. I was also on the tour at the Mormon Convention Center and looking at these paintings of these huge civilizations. And I asked the tour guide, I said, where are these? And he says, we don't know. I said, how have we not found them? They're huge. He says, maybe there's an earthquake. I said, wouldn't there be rubble? And he said, yeah, that's a good point, right? We have other stories of, in other religions that are not backed by evidence. And so when we compare that and we look at scripture, not only does it have this consistent story, but we also have a story that is supported by evidence, that the more archaeology that we are uncovering in that area is confirming the details of the biblical story. In fact, there has not been an archaeological discovery that has proved the Bible to be false. And so this goes into play when we are talking about things like that, when we're trying to say, this is what makes Christianity unique. This is something that Christianity has that other religions can't offer. I'm also doing a talk uh, here on October 31st at Southlands Junior High, talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is this important, right? This is why that talk is so important. If Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true. If he didn't rise from the dead, then we're following a false religion. Our faith is in vain. Right? And as 1 Corinthians 15 says, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? It comes down to the person of Jesus and what he claims to be true. I'm also giving a talk at For His Glory High School um, on entertainment culture. What, how should we see entertainment? How should we uh, view the movies that we watch from this Christian worldview perspective? Right? Because the Bible does tell us how to live. The Bible gives us a picture of how the world works. And our movies that we watch are, are pointing out something very different. Right? I asked my students the other day, I said, can you think of a single movie that, that gives the view that we should not have sex before we're married? Can you think of a single movie that teaches you that you should not drink before you're 21 or even that you should not get drunk, that drunkenness is wrong? My students kind of laughed. They said, no, there's nothing out there. Right? We see the entertainment culture today uh, giving us pictures. It is teaching our students how to live and showing this is what's normal. It's normal just to have sex before you're married. It's normal to get drunk. It's normal to do these things. And we have to say, is this the normal thing? Well, no, this contradicts what scripture has to say. Well, then our students go, well, why should I believe scripture? Well, that's what we've just talked about right? That God actually exists, that God has communicated with us and told us these things that we need to do and live. And ultimately, uh, I'm speaking again on January 25th and February 8th at For His Glory uh, High School Youth Group uh, on LGBTQ community and how Christians should respond to this, right? The Bible gives us a way on how we need to respond. The Bible gives us the way that we need to think about these cultural issues that we face, and if we don't take the Bible seriously, then we're not going to have a biblical approach. We're not going to have a way that we need to approach this. We're going to start agreeing with culture. We're going to start going along with what is common, what is normal, what is accepted, not necessarily what is good. And so I think this topic, as we quickly brushed on to today, and we'll look at more in the future, is something that is so important for us to help students understand right? That Jesus really does have authority over our lives. And so we need to take what the Bible says seriously when it comes to cultural issues, when it comes to entertainment culture, what it talks about with the resurrection of Jesus, and even as we go about uh, deciding between different religions and trying to understand what is the true religion. There is good reason to believe that what the Bible says is true. 
and therefore I need to follow because hopefully we are people and we are training up people that decide to follow the truth wherever it leads. So I hope you've enjoyed this very brief overview of the Bible's authority and how that influences and impacts our lives today. Uh, As I mentioned, I have some speaking events coming up. Also, if you want to reach out to me uh, with any questions or comments, you can do so on Instagram at ryanpolly3. And again, on my Instagram account, I am posting a question of the day, responding to questions uh, that my students ask me, as well as every now and then I reach out to get some questions from you guys. You can also follow at uh, RyanPolly3 on, on Twitter. You follow on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions. Send in your questions, uh, text message at 714-989-6927, or email them in at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. I'd love to hear from you guys again. Uh, that shows might be a little bit sporadic now as I prepare to get married here in the next three weeks, but I hope you've enjoyed this and I will be posting some things in the future. So thank you so much. Sip coffee and think deeply. This is Coffee Ask Questions with Ryan Pauly. Won't hesitate to follow your love.